anytime I acted in sex work, I was always at least trained by my community and my teachers to definitely invoke the goddess or invoke the elements and to go beyond the physical when in, act- in acting in sex work. So that was very important for me to always add the spiritual to the physical or to take over the, the physical with the spiritual when I was working in sex work. And it didn't matter what type of sex work. My guest for this episode is Antonietta Paco. In 2010, Antonietta attended the Southwest Institute of Healing Arts in Tempe, Arizona. She then graduated and became a certified mind-body wellness practitioner, 200-hour registered yoga teacher, hypnotherapist, past life regressionist, and life coach. Also known as Sonia Sass, Antonietta has been involved in various forms of sex work and has been an important ally and activist for sex workers and human rights for 13 years. She is a proud BDSM educator, new model, and dancer. She focuses on a variety of styles that include Latin, tribal, pole dance, hip-hop, and burlesque. She is also an activist, dancer, poet, and strong woman of Maya and Mexica roots who embodies the strength of a warrior and the essence of the goddess, here to restore the ecology and the people through her teachings and her magic. So, Antonieta, I am so excited to hear your story. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's it's truly a pleasure. I'm very grateful. Same here. So I want to dive into your story because you've you've done a lot. You've covered a lot of ground. Um, so the where I start with with everybody, tell me about your spiritual roots. Uh, you grew up. Did you grow up in Mexico? So I grew up in the border town of Nogales, Arizona and Nogales, Sonora. So you can say it's Mexico. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anytime you're that close to the border, you very much take in both cultures, both countries, and both ways of life. That makes sense. Yeah. Yes. So tell me about uh, those cultural influences. Like, how did they affect the faith or the spiritual aspects that you grew up with? So for me, I've always been very connected to the spirit world. And when I was born, it feels like I can remember that moment, hear my mother's voice from the womb. And sometimes that's how connected I feel to my family, to my land. I don't know if it's because of all the hypnotherapy I've done, being a hypnosis, but I'm very connected in my subconscious and I have a great memory on many things. And I grew up in Nogales, and I lived in both places, in Nogales, Mexico, and I lived in Nogales, Arizona. And I grew up Catholic. My parents were immigrants. They were born in Mexico and Nogales, and they were Catholic. But they were very open-minded to different occults, such as Buddhism and witchcraft. So that was always around my life. And I would see a lot of um, statues and altar spaces and smudging that surrounded my upbringing as a little kid. And um, my sister, my oldest sister, who's 13 years older than me, she was definitely deep Catholic and Santerisma bruja. And she knew a lot of curarisma. 
And she kind of got me started as a young kid teaching me spells and limpias and how to ward yourself from mal de ojo and all these things. So you say that you're an activist, dancer, poet, and strong woman of Maya and Mexica roots. Can you tell me about those roots too and how they play into it? So my family are descendants of Maya, of the Mayan people, because that would be the correct term to call them, the Maya. And I'm also Mexica, which is just a translation to saying um, Mexican blended with indigenous, right? Because if whoever's not aware, uh, Mexicans is a blend of Spaniard, European, and um, of the Aslan people, Mexica people. Because we don't call them the Aztecs in Mexico. We don't call them the Aztecs in my family. We call them the Mexica people. So I'm Mexica and I'm Maya of the Mayan people. And I've also gotten my reports or those, those um, what are they, the DNA things you do. And it was high in both of those, the, the Maya especially. Interesting. Yes. And, um, and later in my journey as a teenager, so I was Catholic and I learned all these things as a kid. But as a teenager, I, I was really big on the occults, on research finding. And I wanted to be a theologist at that time in my life. So I spent a lot of time in the library with my boyfriend because he was a total nerd. And I was a total sapiosexual at that time, <laughs> which means that you're attracted to people of intelligence or intelligence. Uh, so we spend a lot of time at the library together. I read a lot about theology, different religions, different faiths, a lot of Wiccan and pagan books, since they were very popular back then. This was like the late 90s, early 2000s. I informed myself with many different occults and religions because I was always trying to seek answers. I was very curious about afterlife and creator and and I was very interested in learning it all. So I was definitely on a mission at a very young age to seek my own faith and seek what everything meant to me. And at that same time, I was introduced to plant ceremonies. So plant medicine and ceremonies. And a lot of indigenous communities would adopt me as their family <laughs> wherever I moved. So when I moved, because I've lived all over, when I moved to uh, Michigan, the Blackfoot took me in and we did moon lodges there. I did moon lodges in the red tent with my Blackfoot sisters. And then in Arizona, I was part of the Chayan Sweat Lodge for over 10 years. In Colorado, the Ute took me in. And then in California, the Lakota people had me there and a room for me and everything. So just wherever I went, there was a high call and drawing for Native American and a lot of shamanistic traditions as well that made a full circle back into my life because my parents were more colonized. And because of that, I missed out. And I found that later in my life through my own communities, indigenous community. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're, I mean, you're both seeking for roots, but then also it sounds like just trying to find what other answers people had found in their own traditions. Absolutely. I consider myself an eclectic, um, definitely more drawn to Native American ceremonies, root work, 
brujeria, the goddesses, things of that nature, always coming back to the land and the feminine for sure. So I'm curious, like you started an education in the health and wellness field and how does this fit together for you? Like you're, it, cause it, it seems like you, you did a lot of studying of, um, I mean, if you study in indigenous traditions, you're, you're going to find a lot of holistic wellness practices that incorporate the body and the soul. So what led you to studying health and wellness in a, in, in like a more formal education setting? Right. So my first, um, aha moment was when I was pregnant at 19 and I was working at a whatever job as a sales rep in Arizona, a lot of call center jobs at that time. And because I was pregnant, I really wanted to do something that was more, in my opinion, just something my kid can feel, you know, like something to look up to, you know, at that time in my life. Not that you can't look up to someone in that position today. Definitely my views would be different. But at that time, there was an emphasis on I need to do something with my life because now I'm about to have a kid. Right. So I decided to become a personal trainer. And in personal training, my teacher, a really good friend of mine, introduced me to yoga and I was pregnant. And he said, yoga is just is the best form of exercise. And he really convinced me on that and made me a huge believer. And after that, I immediately went into the best school ever. And that's Southwest Institute of Healing Arts in Tempe, Arizona. And they're like a mega college for every holistic practice, Eastern practice, indigenous practice you could think of, right? And they help people like me who can't afford to go to school and they offer financial aid and help and grants and stuff like that. So I went to that program and I became a yoga teacher, a hypnotherapist, a past life regressionist, and a life coach because I enrolled in their mind-body wellness diploma program. All while being a very new mother. (laughs) Yes, yes. And it was amazing ride because I learned how strong I was through all that, how dedicated I am, how hardworking, like to have my kid, you know, literally I was holding her when I graduated. It was a good feeling to accomplish so much at such a young age, even though some things were against me, like having a baby at a very young age. So what's next? I mean, you're diving into the spiritual through all sorts of different ways at that point. And tying them into the body. So where do you go from there? Right. So I graduated back in 2009. From there, I worked very hard and grew my resume as a yoga teacher. And I offered a lot of energetic healing work because I learned that also in the school, in some elective programs and through my family, because my sister is a Reiki master and a massage therapist. I have an uncle who's a hypnotherapist with an office in Mexico. So I had those resources and I had that community already kind of built before me that was able to pave a way for me to come up next. You know, we skipped over something and I, and I just realized like, I really don't want to skip over it. You grew up with so many different traditions and yet your family was impacted by colonization 
what what does that mean to you like did it does it just feel like everything was watered down by colonization i mean because it still it feels like the fragments are there but can you can you just talk about that i feel like yes and no i definitely know that there's the the ancestral trauma and mm-hmm. just the history trauma on us indigenous mestizos people who experience everything that happened with the Spaniards coming and conquering and all that stuff. But at the same note, once the harm has been done and um, Mexicans have been born from there, you really just need to start making peace with the different DNA and bloodlines you carry inside of you. Like I can't be mad at every Spaniard person I see. If anything, I carry some of that Mm. now. So I have to make peace with that today. I'm not saying peace then. And I'm not saying everyone should forget what happened. Not at all. We should definitely remember what happened. We should put it up. We should educate everyone. However, there's a time where you need to make peace with what happened then. And this is now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Going back, because when you you talked about your uncle being a hypnotherapist and your sister's a Reiki master, and I'm just thinking like... your family is still still seeking and still becoming healers, <laughs> which is awesome. It's just in a different way, it seems like, than maybe it would have been if, well, it would it'd be very different than if the Spaniards not, had not come, right? Absolutely. So much so. I mean, a whole, a whole community in Mexico is completely convinced of so many lies and they never get told the truth so many people are convinced that they're not even indigenous that's the biggest lie anyone can ever tell them you know so and then there's other indigenous communities that love to play in on that oppression from the colonization to then say as well yeah you're not indigenous and make them feel less than what they are and that's very harmful and very unhealthy Okay, so catching back up. So you you graduated, you were working as a yoga teacher, a hypnotherapist, past life regressionist, and life coach. Are you still in Tempe after you graduate? No, I moved a lot. I got married at an early age, and I married a techno DJ from Detroit. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so we did a lot of traveling and a lot of music and, and um, rave culture and more plant medicine was in that picture. That was um, definitely a time where I build community wherever I went. So when we moved to Michigan, where he was from, I built my community there, holistic, indigenous, and kink. That's kind of where my kink and sex work journey started. All right, dive into it. Yes. So when I first got into sex work, I actually was, um, I was very fortunate. And I was very privileged to meet amazing, amazing leaders who were Dakinis, who were Tantricas, priestesses, and witches. And they were about 30, 40 years older than me. And they practice, you know, everything to do with sex education and kink and play parties and all that. And they kind of showed me the ropes. So they were part of this group called the... Um, the woman, the leather woman of Michigan. And um, through my indigenous service, I met them. 
And when I met them, it was very easy to learn the ropes and get started. I started off as a um, fetish pregnant webcammer. And then from there, moved into dancing after the baby. And then from there, just kept working in different titles and sex work. I've done all kinds of stuff from, um, from being a dominatrix to actually doing performances. Um, I was a rope bunny at the Kink Street Folsom Mega Hood in San Francisco last September. So like just, you know, I'm just all around any way I can, I, I, I can be in service with my sex work and my priestesshood, I do. That's awesome. We're going to we're going to dive more into sex work. But tell me when you say priestesshood, what does that mean to you? Well, when I think of the word priestess and from my research findings, I find that a lot of that comes back to the original sex workers, the original um I guess at that time we didn't call them prostitutes. That's just it. We called them priestesses. They were an important part of the community. People came with them with fertility issues. People came with them with um, advice for, you know, any problems they could be having, whether it's sexual traumas or bringing in more arousal and bringing in successful childbirths to the table, you know? So they were an important part of the community. And there is a whole whoredom and, and horror history that goes back to that, that people don't really want to talk about. But that all exists, and I'm a big believer of all of it. Totally. Yeah, so you're talking about temple priestesses. Correct. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Are there, I mean, I know a lot from, of those lineages from the Middle East, but from indigenous communities on this continent, have you ever been able to find those lineages? I find that there is, there has been, sex ceremonies in Native American culture, they're just basically back to like hunter and gatherers times. And people don't really like talking about that even in the indigenous community. Because again, they want to like, I don't know, maybe not put out the um, fantasize or, or, you know, uprise the image to work in sex work or be someone who can reclaim their sexuality in a healthy way, no matter the gender. So were you as you're discovering this, the the leather communities and starting your journey into into sex work and kink, were you married this whole time? In the beginning, I was married. Yes. And I was part of um, the Red Tent. So I hosted the Red Tent Women's Circles for many years. And um, I had a huge sex positive community. Through that marriage is how I opened up into the polyamory and the swinger community. So I started learning more about that and definitely navigating what worked and what didn't for myself. And um, definitely just learning more about the myths and the misconceptions that goes around with that. So what are we missing? Um, after, After you start your kink work and the red tent communities, hosting red tent communities, were there any other pivotal moments in your in your spiritual journey? Yes, because um, I think any time I acted in sex work, I was always at least trained by my community and my teachers 
to definitely invoke the goddess or invoke the elements and to go beyond the physical when in in acting in sex work. So that was very important for me to always add the spiritual to the physical or to take over the, the physical with the spiritual when I was working in sex work. And it didn't matter what type of sex work. So where are you now? Like what, what are your priorities right now in terms of your, your work and your service work? So right now I offer BDSM mentorship. I do coaching sessions, very similar to life coaching sessions. A single person or a couple can come in and we start analyzing and opening discussions and exploring what avenues they want to dive into in a safe, consensual, healthy way. And I also give them a lot of, um, because I know a lot of the community and the scene. So I give them a lot of stuff they could go back on, like the best, the best sexologist in, in the community, the best workshops, the best parties, all that. So I kind of just load my clients up with that information. And I also do, I still dance. So I dance right now, but I do private events, bachelor parties, birthday parties, things of that nature. And um, I also offer cuddling sessions. And I also offer any, just not, not paid, but if anyone wants any type of advice on getting into sex work, I don't mind people messaging me for that. I really love connecting with people. It's very easy for me and it doesn't matter your background. So I like to help people of all different backgrounds. And, you know, a lot of people tend to inbox me privately for many things. Like they want to share a story of the first time they experienced something or going to a play party or asking questions about something else. And I like that. So I'm very good for those things. And above all, I I think it's important right now to be an activist. So I do a lot of activism. And you're, you're based in Oregon now? Yes, I live in Oregon now. And I offer my coaching through Zoom and online on my website. Nice. It seems like you're the type of person that always wants to have multiple pans in the fire, which I totally get and appreciate. <laughs> yes. And I also do a lot of modeling. That's like my number one art. Oh, nice. And I do a lot of paid work. I do a lot of group. I do a lot of kink. So a lot of uh, more bolder, exotic and spiritual work with my photo shoots. And a lot of that is on my website too. Okay. Yeah. So priestessa.com. Yes. It's priestessa.com or priestessa.com. Exactly. However you you perceive it, it is. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) So I want to go back. You discovered a lot of this, you said, through the, the women's leather community in Michigan. And I, I'm curious, like, did you find a big overlap between the leather community and this more like sacred sex work? If there was an overlap? Yeah, because it seems like you, you were discovering these things at the same time, like this spiritual uh, sex work lineage, the priestess work as well as kink. And I feel like when, when I'm in, when I'm around leather people, uh, leather folk, I don't feel like the spiritual components come up that much. They do just sort of in the general kink community, 
but not so much when I'm talking to folks who like are real heavy into the leather community. And I'm curious if that, if that was different for you. It was very different for me because of the people who were in that group. The person who recruited me in was basically my uh, Moon Lodge. She was my Moon Lodge sister. And she had really big indigenous background. And she was a very spiritual person by nature. And her spouse or girlfriend at the time was a sex geek. She was, she went to the, you know, got certified as the sex geek. She's a Dakini. She's a Tantra and sex educator. So I think just coming into their circle and then they're, they're more experienced because they're crones, they're older. It was very safe. It was very good for me to see it from their eyes and see the good, the off, the ugly, the beautiful, all that. Yeah. I do wonder if, that community being Crohn's makes a difference. I'm also curious just what conversations I've been missing out on with leather folk now. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the things you wanted to talk about was the difference between sex trafficking and sex work. So why don't you tell us what that means to you and why it's important to you? I think the easy answer that when you think of sex trafficking versus sex work, one is forceful and non-consensual. And the other is the opposite. A lot of them, a lot of people, a lot of individuals get this confused and they immediately see the media marketing a lot of sex trafficking news and they start to worry that sex work has that connection. But it doesn't because they're two different departments. And when it comes to sex work um, nationwide, the more we find law enforcement spending time on their rescue missions, they call them, which is a raid that re- that um, searches for sex traffic victims, what they find is that they just go in and start raiding all communities. And all sex workers are then viewed as in need of saving. So this then fails to give attention to the involuntary or involuntary vulnerable victims. Yeah, totally. I I think even like liberal sex positive communities and individuals who identify as progressive and sex positive don't always know the amount of um, legislation that's currently being passed that impacts consensual sex work. Under the guise of it being anti-sex trafficking, when it doesn't actually do anything for sex trafficking victims, it just hurts people who are trying to make a living doing some form of sex work. Agreed. And another thing is um, the actual perceived involvement in the sex trade. Back to this article I was reading with statistics results in approximately 30,000 arrests annually. Posted back in 2015, according to FBI crime crime data. So that means 40% of adults arrested for prostitution were in fact black. And also there's a 24% in Latino. So not only are women being target, but BIPOC, people of color, women of color are being target. Yeah, that's a really good point. And women of color have always fought 
for bodily anonymity and resisted against exploitation. And instead of punishing and shaming survival strategies, we should invest in expanding choices by decriminalizing sex work because it is a racial justice issue. And it requires us to address the root causes of vulnerability. So instead of trying to shame them, we need to check ourselves by making sure we silence our judgment to listen to those voices, their voices, and holding space for their healing, supporting them on their own terms, and recognizing their agency by respecting their choices and challenging structural oppression on all fronts. So I'm going to give a shout out to the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom, which does a lot of um, political lobbying for sex workers and and other um, sexual freedom related topics and communities. But I'm curious, like what other organizations or activists do you recommend? Oh, I have a great list. And we will include it in the show notes, too. Okay, so sex worker support organizations. That, yes, definitely shout out to the one you just mentioned, because I am involved in a lot of their activism and meetups as well. And also St. James Infirmary. That can just be looked up at the stjamesinfirmary.org. Swap. That's at swapusa.org. Stras. S-T-R-A-S-S dot org. And the Amnesty International is another good one. And Red Umbrella, that's a good one as well. And then there's um, Play, it's P-L-A-P-E-R-T-S. So Play Perts. That one's for Latin America. So that one supports um, for more BIPOC communities. And also Sex Work Europe, that one's a good one too. So that one's kind of going more on a um, global scale, but these are really good ones to support. That's great. Thank you for that list. That's very holistic. And I think it's so hard. I get overwhelmed when I think about how different sex work is in different communities. Like it, I try really hard not to make assumptions, but I mostly just talk about it from a U.S. perspective. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, it's really exciting that you're doing this activist work. And there's so many amazing sex work activists who are both advocating for um, sex work to be decriminalized, but also just, I mean, the sex work community is so incredibly inclusive, you know, and um, when you think about intersectional feminism, I think that sex workers are really at the heart of it. I don't actually have a question for there. It was just something on my on my mind. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree completely. And another thing is we just need to make the obvious um, statement that when it comes to just decriminalizing sex work, we actually start to create more safety and protection for these women or these people of color for the LGBTQ community because they have high numbers that are in fact sex workers too. So we create more safety because then if it's decriminalized, they can report abuse or crimes. They can be involved in asking for more human rights and workers' rights if they do work for a legal business. 
So once it becomes decriminalized, these things can start being offered for sex workers. And that's important to reduce violence and the war on sex workers. So do you post a lot about these issues? Like, if so, like, where's the best place for folks to follow you? I know you you do a lot on Facebook, but is that your your best platform? <laughs> As times keep moving forward, I too have to get on with times, right? So I do have an IG. I keep it private for my protection, but um, I'm always, um, after I look at someone's profile and, you know, feel the energy safe, then I can go ahead and accept you. If you're there to support the work, I'll definitely accept you. So I have my IG, which is underscore Sonia Sass, and I have now a TikTok which is newer, and that's underscore Sonia Sass as well. And yes, those are my sex work platforms. That's where I share more of my activism, my poems, and my dance. Nice. So I'm going to have you read the poems, uh, two poems in, in just a minute. I wanted to lead up to them. Oh, we haven't talked about your dance at all. Tell us about your dance. Like, tell us what it means to you. Dancing is prayer. It's a form of prayer to me. So, and that's what the indigenous believe. So when it comes to dancing, it doesn't matter what style, what form. I mean, you've seen indigenous dances such as powwow or African dance, and it it looks like they're twerking, girl. You know, (laughs) like they're putting, they're all into it, okay? They're banging their, their heads, their hands, their feet, their hips, their their butt, everything's in full motion. Everything is connected to the elements around them, to the soil beneath them, the skies above them. And they really put their heart and love into it. So when I dance, it doesn't matter what form. It could be Latin or burlesque or hip hop or pole. It doesn't matter. I, I put my all into it, my whole heart, my whole soul, all my passion and my respect for what's around me and and who's in front of me. So dance is a spiritual practice for you. Dance is a prayer. What else keeps you connected to your connected to the ancestors? Like what are, what are your spiritual practices? I say that goes back to my elective being an elected witch. So I do a lot of ancestors work. I have an ancestor altar. Uh, I write poems to my ancestors I visit them with offerings and I do a lot of channeling and meditation, you know, that comes from just, you know, my yoga and, and being a very dreamy Pisces, I guess. <laughs> and I just really, really love connection. So when it comes to my roots, my grandmothers and grandfathers before me, I'm definitely constantly keeping them in my everyday prayer and my everyday thought when I'm Getting in my car, I say a prayer to my ancestors and, and whatever I have next to me, whether it's my stone or my rosary or both. So I give prayers, everything. And when I'm out and about, it's the same mentality, just giving thanks, giving thanks when I wake up for another day. I think creator and I think my ancestors because I am their manifested prayers. So I, I know we're, we're, I'm them. <laughs> you know? Like they're me. It's, it's. There's really no separation from me with that. I love that. Okay, last question before I ask you to read your your poetry. Something that's that sticks out to me is that I mean, all of your work has been 
holistic, some things that combined the body and the soul and it's service oriented, right? Like it's a, they're all healing work in, in so many ways. It's interesting to me that it's, it's slowly became more and more erotic or, you know, that combined the sexual elements. And I'm curious what that means to you. Like that, that trans, not transition, that evolution of using more of, of the erotic or sexual in your, your healing work. Right. I feel like I've been a high, high sexual being for a very long time in my individual journey. I started having sex very young in my life, right after puberty, young. And not that I'm telling everybody to live my story, but that's my story. So, and I had a lot of, um, even at a young age, I just felt very connected to sex magic. Now I can call it that because I didn't know what it was called then. But sex magic is the act of putting prayers in your orgasms or putting prayers in your body, in your thoughts, in your senses as you're aroused, as you're feeling pleasured. And I definitely just over time known that since the most spiritual way and I guess, transition or portal to even arrive on this land was through sex. There's something there. There's an origin with that. The yoni holds its its origin as a portal. And yoni holders <laughs> are very powerful. And when you tap into that power and then that, that blood magic, because I'm very connected to blood magic too, you just learn so much about yourself and all of it becomes beautiful and you're not scared to talk about that and you're not shy to share it with the world. I love that. So I, I think that's a good transition. I, w- I would love to hear the two poems. Yes. So I have two poems and one wasn't supposed to be a poem. It just ended that way. I was doing some writing on like how sex work sounds like when they're trying to de- the um discriminated sorry I got those words confused but when they're trying to discriminate sex work I was kind of just journaling and it ended up becoming a poem so I'm going to read that one first and then I'll read my actual poem I wrote back in 2018 and that one is very spiritual and powerful so we'll start with this one first I said this is how sex work discrimination looks It's totally acceptable to send a new potential mate nudes or once you engage in intimacy with a partner, you decide to film some porn. But sex work, that's disgusting and super inappropriate. How dare they exist? It's totally acceptable to plan a fun, adventurous day with your girlfriends or take a pole dancing class. But sex work, that's disgusting and super inappropriate. How dare they exist? It's totally acceptable to learn dance styles, such as floor work or twerking, but sex work, that's disgusting, and super inappropriate. How dare they exist? It's totally acceptable to join in fashion trends that popularize fishnets, g-strings, pleasers, neon colors like green, stockings, 
ass claps, bodysuits, and corsets, but sex work, that's disgusting and super inappropriate. How dare they exist? It's totally acceptable to be a housewife and entice your husband with sex and get what you want or go on a date with a generous partner, have him buy you dinner and a gift such as flowers or jewelry, and then have sex after. But sex work, that's disgusting and super inappropriate. How dare they exist? It's totally acceptable to fetishize the idea of having a sugar daddy, sugar mama, or a financial sub for physical financial support. But sex work, that's disgusting and super inappropriate. How dare they exist? And lastly, it's totally acceptable to visit a robot hostel in Texas as of right now in 2022. You can pay to fuck a robot, but sex work, that's disgusting and super inappropriate. How dare they exist? Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> that long oh. pause, like, uh-huh, mm-hmm, yeah. silent. Silent snaps. <laughs> what it reminds me of is um, I was looking up um, forums from the Airbnb community. Somebody found out that somebody she'd rented her Airbnb to had been using it to see clients. And there's just this like long thread of like how disgusting, how awful. You, there must be like all sorts of germs and like sex workers are so like, you know, filled with stis and stuff and i was just thinking how is this like are these people feminists like do they identify as feminists you know and just that it's so weird (laughs) right because the airbnb is literally a hotel room so what else would they be doing right you would have sex with your partner maybe mastery by yourself anyway so why would it any difference one difference and a transaction involved (laughs) that's funny that's so funny (laughs) all right so your actual poem (laughs) (laughs) yes yes i i go on on my little (laughs) on my on my writing spurs so (laughs) here let me let me get into the actual poem so it's called to my sex workers to my sex workers the women who know how to practice consent, but is told she's not so innocent. You are the embodiment of sacred sex our planet needs as our instrument. So fucking vigilant as you travel through imminent danger, which such diligence. Your chosen work is intimate. Your boundaries have discipline. Your service spreads ancient priestess teachings that are infinite. To my sex workers, women of confidence, with a spirit of a rebel. The ignorant sheep refer to you as a she-devil, not even realizing your work invokes and restores healing and pleasure that raises sea levels. To my sex workers, you are liberated and empowered by sex. You can care less what they say. When you choose your outfits, you got them breaking their necks. But you're a professional. You don't settle. You stay cashing those checks. You're the best at what you do, no matter what happens next. You don't break or give up on your persistent track. To my sex workers, true women who say, fuck the matrix and become their own boss. 
Society will brainwash you to think that all sex work derives from trauma, traffic, or a past that's lost. But the truth is, more and more activism is reaching out. Sex workers love their job and stay fighting for their rights at all costs. Did you know that there's laws on the planet where sex workers have rights and are praised? I know in the U.S. whoredom is frowned upon, but in New Zealand, sex workers receive social benefits under employment laws. In Germany, you qualify for pensions and they provide you with health insurance to help you out. In Australia, you can get tax write-offs for sex tours, dance lessons, makeup, and lingerie. Don't you dare give me your spiel that sex workers are hoes and have no place in your hood. These workers are sex healers and sacred whores, reclaiming the power back in the slurs you use like bitch and slut with their flawless groove. The way they move, the things they do, still isn't as inspirational as their grind for food to my sex workers. Because of you, sex positivity exists. You frequently get tested and checked out for shit. Your courageous bravery doesn't go unnoticed one bit. Your daily rituals are self-care, self-love. And as you grab your prayer beads, to you, you know your work is an act of needed deeds. You embody the goddess, Aphrodite, Lilith, Kali, and Isis. But most importantly, you become the vessel of sexual freedom and your powers emit love that are priceless. The sex worker, she is the goddess that we need, leaving any eyes or bodies that she sees on their knees, asking you to be saved from dark trapped places to open portals of light when she please. Pulls you a source and hand you the keys to find your peace. The sex worker, here to please. The sex worker, such a sacred queen. To my sex workers, I see you, I feel you, I am you. Sex work is work. Support our team. I love the idea of sex work as a goddess in and of itself. That's really <laughs> powerful. It feels like, I mean, you know, you you invoked different goddesses and from different cultures, but I I do think that there's, I mean, there's there's a spirit that calls you to do this work and that empowers you and being able to think about that as the sort of divine being that that keeps us going and protects us is really powerful. Absolutely. And as you finish saying that, I'm looking at the time and it's this two, two, two. Oh. <laughs> wow. And, and that, I, and I know a lot of numerology too, and that's, that's harmony and, and mm. faith. So what you're saying is truly the faith of why we're here. And I, I do believe a sex worker kind of creates her own archetype in this world, in this community. You know, she, she is yeah. many yeah. different reasons that a lot of people are scared to talk about and, and can't be in a safe community to talk about. I mean, look at our community in our state. I mean, the states, the United States. So in the United States, there's only about 23 states that teach sex education. And those parents can opt out at any time because of religious backgrounds or other cultural differences. So that lets you know, not a lot of people learn about sex to begin with. And sex workers are here to teach you. Truly. Yeah. Educators above all else. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. And going back to real quick, that umbrella term, when people hear sex work, they think, oh, you know, immediately escort or even a more dirty word to the dictionary prostitute. But sex work and sex worker is an umbrella term. It can mean many things. It could mean sex educator. It can mean tantrika or dakini. You know, someone who, who teaches the Tantra and the ancient sex teachings. It can be a webcammer, phone operator, dancer, dama. Um, there is a model. So there's just so much that is covered when you say the word sex worker that people haven't even discovered. Because they immediately hear the news say sex work and they think traffic. Or they think prostitute, but there's so many versions of it. And nothing's wrong with being a prostitute either, but there's just so many versions to that word and that umbrella. Right. When I when I started, I I started advertising as a sacred intimate. And there I mean, I had to use escort sites to advertise because <laughs> there wasn't anything else, you know? And and part of that is just that because everything is is criminalized, there's not avenues for for people to find the providers that they need, you know, like it's all so hush hush and, and sites get shut down and it's constantly a headache to figure out where it's safe to advertise. And so part, I, when I think about this umbrella, I think about how we, it all gets sort of shuffled or shoved into these tiny little tunnels because we don't have space and we don't want to make the space again because it's going back to its roots in a bit. You know, that patriarchal war on women, that war on immigrants, people of color, BIPOC, that war on LGBTQ, trans people. You know, it's, it's about taking away people's rights, taking away their identity to belong. And that's why it's so important for us sex workers to stay strong, stay together and do our inner work and help each other as the journey continues. So I just want to say thank you for coming to this conversation with specific things that you wanted to talk about and making sure that activism was such an important part of it along with your own journey. So I, I really appreciate it. It's been a great conversation, um, hopefully educating to people. For those of you listening, if there's things that you don't understand or want to hear more about, by all means, reach out. You can reach me at jara at jarabrown.com. And I'm sure Antonietta already said that her DMs are open if you have questions. So that's that's such a gift. And not everybody does that. Yes, my, my consent to bothering me, questioning <laughs> me <laughs> at any time about sex work or other stuff you can't talk about in other communities or your families, definitely come to me. I love talking to people. I love connecting with people. So my DMs are open. Uh, you could go priestessa.com or priestessa and all my tags are there for all my social medias. Let's end with that. Let's end with that call to action yes thank you thank you again for your time and for doing this interview absolutely it was my pleasure truly i'm grateful <laughs> <laughs>